Callan's not here to defend himself, but one of the things I've done regularly is read in the Old Testament and study out of the Old Testament over the last couple of years. And as he has said a lot of times, there's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament. And one of the things we do when we study, uh, do Bible studies is we spend some time in the Old Testament trying to give people a picture of what's going on. And I want to do that again this morning. It's not going to be a, something new to you. It's not going to be something that you've never heard before. But, but one of the, the chores, I guess, I don't think, you can't really call it monotony, but the, the regularness of teaching the Bible can sometimes, we, we're looking for the next new thing. Or what's some great uh, point that I can make that nobody's ever made before. And ultimately, what I want to get to is people are people. And the reason we have a lot of the stories in the Old Testament is because we're people too. And one of the hard things to me about reading the Bible and trying to make application, because that's, that's really the point of, of all the Bible is for us to make an application to ourselves, is making it come to life. It's very easy to read these stories just like we watch a movie. Uh, and I'm not up on the superheroes of today, so I'll use Batman. And to think of these folks as some kind of a superhero that have superpowers, that, well, they were part of God's plan, so they weren't tempted. They didn't have the same feelings we did. They didn't have their feelings hurt like we do. And somehow they just made it all work and everything was peachy keen. And so as we read through some of the story of Joseph, not all of it, I want you to try and do that. I want to try and make a few applications uh, this morning. And again, people are people. And to me, that's the hardest thing to remember as we're reading the Bible. When we read these stories, they are not stories about fictional characters. They're real stories about real people that hurt when they smashed their finger that had their feelings hurt when somebody said something bad to them, that had all the aches and pains that we do. And I have a tendency to forget that. I also want to make a special point as we talk about these things, to think about your kids. We've got a whole bunch of kids, and there are a lot of things they can learn from these character studies. And not just our children, and as you teach your children, I think the Bible stories, I know we all do that, they're a great way to teach our kids, not in a way to beat it over their head, but a way to, to give them admonition and a way to give them ammunition, I guess, to be able to deal with whatever things they deal with. You know, a two-year-old doesn't deal with the same things that a 14-year-old deals with. And so, back to the point, we can all learn something, even from the most familiar stories, no matter how old we are, no matter how many times we've heard it. So I, I challenge you this morning... Think about these things. If you're a parent, think about how can I incorporate the stories of David and, and maybe some of the other characters that we read about in small doses that my children can understand. Because we have a lot of stories about little kids or people dealing with things. And how can I make these characters more alive to me and not treat them as a character in a movie over here or some fictional character in a book? but people that had real feelings just like we do and had real challenges just like we do. I want to start in Acts chapter 7, and we're going to do very, very much the same thing that Stephen. This is Stephen's sermon right prior to him getting stoned. So hopefully after I preach this sermon, I won't be the next Stephen. Y'all are a friendly crowd. But it was common 
because they were Jews and they knew the Jewish history, to go back and get people to review it. And so here's what, what Stephen did as he was preaching about Jesus. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, and the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. So Jacob gave a summary, I'm sorry, Stephen gave a summary about Jacob's family, Joseph's life, and we're going to do much the same thing today. We're not going to hit all the points about Joseph's life, but we're going to talk about some things that I think are applicable to us. And hopefully as you read these stories, maybe these will spur your memory. Maybe you'll think of different things that apply. But, but ultimately, our goal is to make the Old Testament and the Bible itself come to life for you, for your kids, for your grandkids, so that we can learn from them. That's why they're there, so that we can learn. We can build our faith. Remember, the story of Joseph was part of God's promise to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, one of the cornerstones of the Bible is the promise that God made to Abraham and to all those who were faithful after him. God said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We remember that, that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of that promise, but there were a lot of steps along the way. And Joseph was part of the lineage that we're, ta we're taught about in the book of Genesis. I want to start in Genesis chapter 37. That's really the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 through 50 tells the story of the life of Joseph. Joseph probably represents most all of our lives, the ups and downs of life. He had some extremely high highs, some very low lows. And ultimately, he was a man of faith. That's what I want us to all remember, because that's our goal, is to be people of faith. Joseph trusted God. When things were good, guess who he turned to? God. When things were bad, guess where he found comfort and strength? God. And I want us to keep that in mind as we read this. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. We're going to hit some of these points in a minute, but you can see, and we've talked a lot of times about the favoritism that went on in the family. And all of us at some point, at some level, have experienced that. We've seen it in other people. We've seen it in other families. There's a lot of family dynamics going on. 
and it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Joseph is 17. So in, as, I, as I talk about trying to bring these stories to life, think about yourself when you were 17. If you can remember back that far. That's Paige's age. That's some of the other kids back here. Andrew's age. 17 years old. We're thinking, man, they are kids, right? <laughs> and sometimes I get in my head, well, Joseph ought to have known a lot better. Joseph really didn't know a lot better, I don't think. Uh, and Joseph did not help the favoritism thing. We know that Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And I'm not going to read all the details of the dream. Part of what I want to encourage you to do is go back and fill in the details. Maybe you know it, but I'd like you to go back and read it because something else will come out to you. He actually had two dreams. And my idea here is not to comic book eyes, I guess, the story of Joseph. But sometimes as we try to bring the Bible alive to our kiddos, and then sometimes even to ourselves, seeing something real makes it more real as opposed to just reading white words on a blue background. Remember, this is real. He had two dreams, and it kind of is encapsulated in this picture. Most people don't know what a sheep is. He had a dream that these bundles of grain represented his brothers, and his brothers were going to bow down and worship his stack of grain called a sheaf, and... He had a second dream that's represented by the stars that those represented his brother and the light that he had was much more glorious than his brother's light and that they were going to worship him and be servant to him. And think about if you're 17 years old and some of you had little brothers that were like that, I'm guessing, or maybe little sisters, and they come up to you and, and we'll talk a little bit about the family dynamic, but there were kids spread out over 15 or 20, I don't know the exact number of years, but much older, these brothers that he was dealing with. So here's the 17-year-old kid coming up and telling his 11 older brothers, you're fixed to bow down and worship me sometime, and they already hate you. <laughs> he didn't help the situation. Now, there's some, some thought that, well, God was in control of all this, but still, you can see the family dynamic that was going on. And one thing led to another, chapter 37, verse 18. When they saw Joseph, talking about his brothers, saw him afar off, even before they came near him, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him down into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Some of the brothers talked the other brothers out of killing him, Judah and Reuben, and they came up with an alternate plan. Verse 27, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. They threw him in a hole. That's how bad they hated him. They threw him in a hole to imprison him. And not only that, they tricked their dad. 
Verse 32, then, when they sent, then they sent the tunic of many colors, the special outfit that he had made for Joseph. Maybe it was the one thing they could put their eyes on that kind of uh, drew all their hatred because it was the special gift that he had gotten that, that kind of was the point of the favoritism. They brought it to their father and said, we found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? They knew exactly whose clothes it was. They had taken his coat, covered it up with blood so they could trick their father, and he fell right into their hands, jumped to the conclusion. He recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, a sign of uh, great sorrow, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. So kind of think about what's going on. Here's a representation of his coat of many colors. It's covered in blood. They've gone back to the father trying to trick him. And up above, you can see what I get in my mind is a, I don't know wherever I saw Lawrence of Arabia, but a caravan of Arabians with camels. The Ishmaelites had come through and taken Joseph, and they hauled him away. It wasn't, he didn't get in an air-conditioned car. He didn't get in a train that was air-conditioned. He was tied up, stuck on the back of a camel and hauled away from his family. I mean, that's the, the kind of drama, if you want to call it that, that was going on. That's the reality of what was happening. So how do we make that story come to life? It's different things for different people, different ages. Your kiddos at two or three don't understand favoritism, I'm guessing. Older kids do. We as parents, maybe as you get away from raising your own kids, you understand family dynamics. How do families interact with each other? Envy is something that we'll talk about. And I want to kind of track the idea of a short-term versus long-term view because that's something you hear mentioned from the pulpit a lot is a long-term view versus a short-term view or a spiritual view versus a worldly view, those types of things. And I think the story of Joseph helps point that out as well. We alluded to it a little bit. Joseph came from a large family, 11, 12 kids that we know about, sons, a wide range of ages. Think about how hard, I, I hear stories, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was one of 16 brothers and sisters, and I hear stories of the older kids being given the task of disciplining the younger kids. You know, yeah, you know about how that worked out. At 14, one of the younger kids jumped a train in central Texas and went to Arizona and didn't come back till he was 30. <laughs> Family dynamics can do a whole lot of good things, and they can do a whole lot of bad things. And as parents, grandparents, people watching that aren't in the heat of the battle, helping people with family dynamics can be a big deal. Most of us don't have families of 16 or 20 kids, but family dynamics can get awry. They can get crooked. People with different interests, it seems like someone's getting all the attention. It's something to be aware of as parents. And, and here's what happened in the story of Joseph, and we'll get to it here in a little bit. 30 years, roughly, of their life and their relationship was lost because of bad family dynamics that, I mean, what the Bible says is the father caused it all. <laughs> he loved his son Joseph more than he loved the other ones. He treated him as the special favorite. He gave him special gifts. 
The 17-year-old son didn't help things out. He played into the favoritism thing too. As parents, as grandparents, let's be on the lookout for those sorts of things. You know, we've all seen or experienced favoritism or what we thought was favoritism. Sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. I've heard, and there was only four years almost to the day between our youngest and oldest, so there really wasn't a huge age span. Oh, he gets everything because he's the baby. Oh, you like the older one a whole lot better. He gets to do a whole lot more than I do. Probably came out of my mouth at some time when I was a kid. Probably came out of your mouth. And my, my encouragement to you, if you're 15 to 17... Don't play your parents like that. <laughs> You've got some control over that. Don't play into that dynamic. Parents, try not to do that. That doesn't mean every kid gets the same thing or, or is treated the same way. They're all different. We all have our natures. Some of our kids are more like us. One son was more like me. One was more like his mother. It's easy to fall into those dynamics. Don't let it turn into this favoritism thing. As adults, one of the things that we have the responsibility, and maybe it just comes, some of it just comes with age, not everybody learns it with age, but age and time is the ability to see what the consequence of something's going to be better than a kid. To a seven-year-old child, a week is forever. For them to see past a week, is very difficult. I know people that are adults that that's very difficult for them still, so they didn't grow up to mature. But as, as mature adults, we see a longer-term view. We've got to be the objective ones. We've really got to try and see how things really are so that we can guide our children. And kids, you've got to mature. Doesn't mean a two-year-old all of a sudden needs to be having the judgment of a 25-year-old. But one of the chores of raising children of turning into an adult is getting a longer-term view of things. And how do I, as a parent, quit directing your life and you start taking charge of directing your life, even though you don't have a clue about some things because you've never experienced it? Children have to mature, so be aware of that, I guess, is, is my point. Be aware that people that are older have seen things that you haven't seen. As smart as you are, as experienced as you may be, you haven't experienced what they have. So lean on their wisdom. Lean on their experience. Envy, jealousy is a dangerous thing. In America, we used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Sometimes it's called class warfare is what you'll hear it called now. But envy is an emotion that we all experience. Jealousy. Maybe you can throw covetousness in there, maybe a little bit, kind of all with that same mindset. And sibling rivalry can get out of hand. It can cause long-term problems, as we see in the story of Joseph. It can cause short-term problems. On the, on the contrary, as parents, we need to figure out a way to celebrate for our family all of our kids to celebrate the successes of our other kids. It's not about competition. It's not about who's the best or the smartest or the favorite. It's about developing uh, 
everyone to be a mature Christian. Final point I want to get out of this early story is a short-term view versus a long-term view. What you saw from the brothers in this story was, I hate Joseph because of all these reasons. Let me get him out of my sight, and that's going to solve all my problems. Short-term view. They saw no point of looking down the road. We're going to read some more of the story of Joseph, and we're going to see that at least you can infer that Joseph, throughout his life, developed the idea of a long-term view of things. When we develop a long-term view of things, small things, the day-to-day -day things, can get in their proper place. Doesn't mean they're not important, but sometimes the day-to-day -day takes over our life, and we lose perspective, and we lose what our priorities should be, and... That's what happened to Joseph's brothers. To me, the definition of maturity is being able to see down the road. If you talk to psychologists, that's one of the big defining moments when a child goes from being a child to being an adult. When they can see, and, and you see it as they develop, that they can see A leads to B. It may be when they're a baby, I cry and I get food. <laughs> I do A and I get B. Our job as we mature is to realize that it's beyond what I see and what's the here and now. And to help our kids and, and ourselves to not get sucked into the here and now. Because we all struggle with it. Because what does the Bible tell us? It tells us to think about eternity. Well, we've, none of us have ever experienced a time where time doesn't matter. You know, we try to think about, well, I've lived 56 years, and that's a long time. But in contrast to eternity, that's like expecting my two-year-old sometimes to understand what it's like to, to go back to a 30-year class reunion. No concept. And so we have to train ourselves to mature spiritually, to think about eternity, so that our world doesn't become about the here and now. So that we have a spiritual view. Because we know that's what's going to get long term what we need. That's what as a parent that, or grandparent, that's what keeps us from spoiling kids. Because we realize that if we do too much of that, down the road there's going to be a bad... All the way down to making a kid eat their vegetables before they eat the sugar, right? All those things are steps to maturing we think we have because we're old, but we have work to do as well. We all have work to do, and we can all help each other. And I think the story of Joseph brings that to light. And some people never make that step. As a Christian, we want to do that. We're commanded to mature, to not be babes anymore, and we want to help other people try to reach a maturity that lets them see the big picture, the long term. Chapter 39 in the book of Genesis kind of starts a section of Joseph's life that I'll call the ups and downs. Remember, he's 17 when we're reading the first part of it. In this, this portion that we're going to read, he goes from age 17 to somewhere in the neighborhood of 39, so about 22 years. 
We saw the picture of him getting carted to slavery. He becomes a slave in an Egyptian army person's, uh, a high-ranking army official, becomes a slave and, and rises to a position of power there. Verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 4, it says, So Joseph found favor in his sight, talking about Potiphar. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And down through there you read that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So it seems like things are going really good for Joseph. God has blessed his master's house because Joseph, as we'll read, is a faithful man. He rises to a position of authority so that his boss didn't even know how much money he had. He just knew that Joseph gave him everything he needed every day and took care of it all. I don't really consider myself a control freak, as probably most of you don't, but the, the thought of me giving somebody all of my finances and all my business and not knowing anything about it and letting them take care of me is kind of frightening, isn't it? <laughs> it's outside the realm of, of uh, all of our comfort zone. That's where Joseph was. He took care of Potiphar. He had his complete trust. It's not always a blessing to be good-looking, I guess. Maybe that's one thing you can get out of this. Because in verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on him. And she said, lie with me. And she stayed after him and after him. And day by day, it says, over and over, she asked for him. And here was Joseph's view. And how you know that Joseph had a long-term view of things. And how you know one more fact that proves that Joseph was a faithful man. Because no one... No one was over Joseph. The master was away and Joseph was in charge of everything. And here was his answer to her. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he also says, how can I violate my master's trust? He's put everything under my control. And it said, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her, to lie with her, to be with her. Verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment again saying, lie with me. So he's even by himself, which, word of advice, don't ever get yourself in a spot where you're by yourself. But he was, but he still took off running and he left his garment and fled and ran outside. We've heard that story. We've talked about how important it is to flee when temptation comes, comes uh, our way. And all those things are true things, true points we can learn about the story of jo or from the story of Joseph. But think about him as not the richest man in Egypt, but one of the most, most powerful people in Egypt at this point in the game. And here's what happened to him. Joseph's master took him put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So he went from being here to being here because of his faith, because of his long-term view of things. But he stayed faithful to God. The keeper of the prison did not look 
into anything that was under Joseph's authority. He had made Joseph. Don't know that he was a natural-born leader, but he had the traits of a leader because now in prison he's become a leader. And the keeper of the prison didn't have to worry about what Joseph was in charge of because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. What that tells me is no matter what, Joseph gave God the credit. Joseph credited God with what was going on. And he met up with two people. We're familiar with the story. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And they came to Joseph and they said to him, we've each had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Remember way back when he was young, he had dreams, but see who he credited God with being able to, who he credited with being able to, to interpret dreams? God. He gave him the credit. Think about if you're the guy in prison and people are coming to you for advice, you've already risen to a position of authority, how easy it would be to take the credit of, let me tell you about this. But Joseph didn't do that. He always gave credit to God. And he told them the dream, which came true. The king hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted them. And the chief butler was released. And contrary to what Joseph had asked him, he said, please don't forget me. The butler forgot him. As we think about long-term and short-term, here I am, I've helped out these people, or at least one of them, <laughs> told him his dream. Please don't forget me. And the next verse or two says this, it came to pass at the end of two full years. <laughs> Two years later, Joseph languished in prison for two more years that the Pharaoh, the king, had a dream. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows looking fine and fat. They fed in the meadow. Behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, and the king awoke. He had another dream with a similar interpretation after that, and it tormented him. He didn't know what to do with a dream like that. It was real to him. And the butler, who two years earlier had had his dream interpreted, and Joseph asked him not to forget him, guess what he said? Oh, yeah, there's this guy in prison. <laughs> two years later, we don't read about Joseph being impatient. We don't read about Joseph being mad because he forgot him for two years, what we find is he brings Joseph to the king, and the words sound very familiar. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, when he asked him to interpret the dream, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And he told him the, the interpretation of the dream, the seven years of famine. Oh, sorry, the seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. God showed Joseph what to do to avoid that, and we know that they stored up grain during the seven years of famine. Pharaoh recognized that Joseph had God with him, and he said, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So think about the story of Joseph. He's the 
favorite son of his father down into a pit, sold into slavery. He's worked his way up to be head of the captain's household. He's lied about by the captain's wife. He's in a dungeon for two years and forgotten about, and now he's risen again, this time to an even higher spot. He's second in all of Egypt in command, only behind the king or the pharaoh of Egypt. And here's the things I want to look at as we, or talk about as we look about the ups and downs of life in Joseph's life. He was loyal to God. When things were going well, he was loyal to God. When things were going bad, he was loyal to God. He was loyal to his master. He did let himself get in a bad situation. Not that he gave in to sin, but he got himself by himself with, with his master's wife. And maybe this is the, the biggest to me. We can see an example of patience. And, and the word patience in the Bible really isn't, I'm going to put up with you because you're on my nerves until you finally quit. Patience really means endurance. Christianity and life in general is not today or this week or this month even. It takes endurance. We've got to stick with it. When things are bad, we've got to stay with it to work through the hard times. And Joseph's a great example of that. He endured when things were good and didn't throw God out the window. And he endured when things were bad and didn't lose all hope. He stayed faithful through the ups and downs of life. So Genesis 41, it continues the story. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he's telling these dreams. He was 17 when this story all started. Now he's 30, so 13 years later. So now we're talking about people that are Sadler's age. He's not quite 30. It'll be here before you know it. <laughs> and we think about, hey, these are young, mature but don't know a lot yet. Here's Joseph at the age of 30. Now he's been given the authority and the power of the king of Egypt at 30 years old. Talk about something that could go to your head. How many 30-year-old athletes or movie stars or song people that sing, how many of those does it go to their head because they don't have any way to keep up, keep things in perspective? Joseph did. Then the seven years of plenty that were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. So he was 30. Now we've had seven years of, of plenty, so he's 37. And later on it says we're two years into the famine. So now he's 39 years old, 22 years after his family abandoned him or his brothers tried to kill him and sell him into slavery. And the famine is in their land as well. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. And verse 6 in chapter 42, Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Rings a bell, right? I'm guessing that Joseph remembered it. We're told a little bit later that his father remembered it 
I'm guessing his brothers have no idea at this point in the game because they don't even know who he is. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them. He spoke roughly to them, and he said, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So the next three chapters, and I'm not going to go into all the detail, from chapter 42, 43, and 44, kind of tells the story of Joseph's interaction with his brothers. We are 22 years later. He's in Egypt, probably speaking Egyptian by that time. They're Hebrews coming down from the land of Canaan. They don't recognize him. And it says he speaks roughly to them. He plays some tricks on them. I'll let you read it and you can kind of see all the things he does to mess with them. Accuse them of being thieves, of spies, plant some stuff on them. He doesn't kill them. I don't know if that's his human nature, if that's the retribution that they need. It doesn't really tell a lot of that story. What I know is Joseph, as the second in command of the land of Egypt, he could have executed them like that. He had that authority to do it, but he didn't. Eventually, they come back with more of the family that he wanted them to come back with, and Joseph breaks down. Uh, chapter 45 says, Then Joseph... This is when his brothers have come back for the second time, could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And now they know who he is, and guess what? Their guilt from 22 years starts working on their mind. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? He didn't know. 22 years later. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. As you think about a story coming to life, could you imagine being the brothers that had threatened to kill, had deceived the father and their father into believing that Joseph was dead, had sold him into slavery, and now... I'm bowing down to him, and he has the power of life and death with one word. And the Bible says they were dismayed. <laughs> they are probably scared to death. <laughs> they thought their life was coming to an end as they knew it. 22 years later. But Joseph's long-term view, and I said we'd try to come back to that. How does somebody keep from being bitter and wanting revenge? I mean, I've seen families that have been estranged for 22 or more years, as have you. I would say if I was looking back and seeing it as a, just a normal person, Joseph had every right to do whatever he wanted to to his brothers. They had treated him awful. But a long-term view is what allowed him not to be vengeful which allowed him not to be bitter, which allowed him not to try and punish them. Here's what he told them. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. How's that for a perspective? That's quite 
a way to look at things. And we've read it a lot of times, but when you really consider all the events that led up to it, the power that Joseph had, it's amazing to me that he could step back and go, you know, this was really God's plan. It was God's plan from the very beginning. You know, back in the 70s, I didn't live very long in the 70s. At least I wasn't old enough to know much. Some of you live better. There was a word that came out called karma. In the Bible, sometimes we can refer to the, the passage about sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Most of the time when we're wrong, there comes an opportunity to take vengeance in life. Joseph gives us a good example of you don't have to be that way. You don't have to be vengeful. We have a great example of seeing the bigger picture. Seeing it was really God's plan. An example of what real maturity is. Being able to endure and be patient through all the ups and downs of life. Even when you might, by all accounts, be justified in, in not being that way. So as we close up, Hopefully it's reminded you of the story of Joseph. Not nearly all of it. There's a whole lot more that you could go back and read. Hopefully it'll, it'll uh, encourage you, reinvigorate, give you an idea of what to do with your kiddos or to learn for yourself. Not just from the story of Joseph, but from a lot of the stories and a lot of the people as we read it. That the Bible is real. It was real people with real events happening to them. Hopefully it'll remind us to watch and build and care for our families. Hopefully we'll remember God in the ups and downs of life. And that we'll keep a long-term view as things good and bad happen to us. Hopefully you've enjoyed the study this morning. Again, nothing new or unique, but hopefully it will encourage you as you read in the Old Testament, make it come to life. Use it to build your faith and become closer to God. If there's anyone here this morning that would like the assistance of the church in some way, if we can pray for you, or if you would like to be baptized, please come forward while we stand and sing.